stage this morning. So we finished with uh, the book of Revelation last week. And I prayed about this. I was approached by somebody about preaching the book of James. And I also prayed about it. And I thought after all of that heavy preaching about the future and so on, what a wonderful book to turn to next, the book of James. And let me tell you that James is not preached in churches. You won't get a lot of sermons out of James. Go and and look. I've had a little bit of a peek look in this last week. And it's because James is in your face about Christian living. James addresses a lot of things, and today, today, I might address a few things which is going to upset a few people. But you see, that's what the Bible does. The Bible is a mirror, and you look into the mirror, and when you don't like what you see, you've got opportunity to correct it. I don't have a lot of hair left, but you know, when I get in the mirror, I can imagine if the hair is out of sync, then you correct it. There's one thing, John, you know, I haven't got, but this small head, if I get, take a sleep, it sort of stands a little bit upright. And I need to look in the mirror and I say, that looks not right. And then you, you put water on it and it still jumps up and you put more water on and you correct it. That's James for you. And I want to start a series about spiritual maturity. As we get saved, we don't get saved to just sit around and to be a good Christian in church. We get saved to, to mature in the Spirit. If you are born again, what does that phrase mean? You're a little baby. That's what born again means. And this is what this whole book is all about. It's going to talk about spiritual maturity. It's going to be a measurement for you. How do I measure up against the Word of God? Because, friend, God is changing us into the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit's whole work for us is to teach us about Jesus Christ, is to change us. If you get saved, the change must happen. You can't just stay the same. When we saw little Andre when he was born, he was a small little baby, and everybody went around and said, Oh, look at him, beautiful little toes, and all of those kind of things. But two years from now, we don't want to see the small little baby anymore. He's got to grow up. He becomes a toddler, runs around. He starts building his own personality. And as he grows up and becomes 10, 11 years old, he will challenge his parents with a lot of questions and things. And and that's what we need. You need to challenge and ask and learn and take on board. And then when he becomes 16, 17, 18 years old, You cannot have the same mindset as when he was a toddler of two years old. Because that is immature. And this is the same with Christian living. It's the same with you and me. And this is what this series in the book of James will address. So our overall art here is spiritual maturity. And we want to complete the sentence every Sunday as we work through this book. A mature Christian is patient in testings. That's what we're going to look at today. And then we will come back and we will say a mature Christian practices the truth. And I'm I'm, I'm honest to you, it's going to be confronting, but that's what the Word of God needs to be. It's confronting. And then we're going to come back in one week and say a mature Christian has power over his tongue. Who knows that? Who knows that? How many troubles have your tongue brought you into? And again, it's going to be confronting. 
I'm saying this morning, I'm only the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm going to tell you what the Word says. And I'm going to trust on the Holy Spirit to convict hearts. And so we're going to work our way through this wonderful book of James. James is similar to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. In fact, many teachers and many scholars and, and so on say that James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. This book. So today, I want to touch on the first part of that, and that's the word patience. Who's got patience? Yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> There's some honest people here this morning. <laughs> I've got patience, Lord, but give me more. <laughs> so patience in testing times. We all can have patience at some stages, but it's when testing times comes around. That people cry out to God and say, How long? How long do I still have to take this? James addresses this for us in this first chapter. So first, our, our, our key verse in today is James chapter 1 verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We're going to unpack that and explore that a little bit. Now, when he says, my brethren, my brethren, he's talking to you and me. And let me tell you, friends, not everybody in the world is my brother. We find it so easy when new people come into a church, we, we just call them brother. We accept them to be brothers. No, to be the brethren or the brother, and, and I'm not talking about the open and the closed brethren here, okay? It's not those brethren. I'm talking about children of God. If you are a born-again, blood-washed child of God, you are my brother, you are my sister. And he talks to them now. He talks to them. First of all, a little bit about James, the author. It's always good to start out in a study to see who writes this. It is James, the brother of Jesus. There's three James. Some scholars say there's four Jameses, in prominent Jameses, when you read through the New Testament. James, the son of Alphaeus, and there's another James. But this James is the, the brother of Jesus Christ. And I think it's really important to listen to the brother of Jesus Christ when he writes it down. He didn't believe at first. He didn't believe. You remember there in Mark chapter 3 verse 31, and then later on how they sort of taunted him and said, you do all these things, Jesus. That's his brothers. He had other brothers and sisters, by the way. Uh, you do all these things. Why don't you go to Jerusalem and show yourself? At this particular time, he was sitting there teaching people, and his mother and his brothers, the word says, stood outside, and they tried to call him, and they said, your brothers and your, your family is here. And he said, he turned to them, he says, my brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. So when he says, my brethren, that is what I'm looking at. Those who do the will of God. The, the brother of Jesus. Now, when you read in verse 1, I like it when he says, he identifies himself, James, a bond servant. Do you see that word there? Bond servant. It means that he gave himself to God. It is one who gives himself up to another's will. Absolutely. It's not by by owning that person and him resisting that. He gives himself up to another person's will. And this is what a born servant is. And this is what you and I need to be. He is so devoted to another person that he disregards his own interest. That's what a servant is. 
He calls himself a bondservant of God, and then he says to the Lord, look at this, Lord, title, Jesus, earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, heavenly ministry. He was totally saved. This is the same James that when he came to faith was the leader of the church that we read in the book of Acts. When they brought all these things, he was the one standing up and said, brothers, by the Holy Spirit, let us take this decision. So this is the James we are talking about. He's a very prominent person and we need to learn from him. So let's read today from verse 2 and I'm going to read through the whole passage and we will come back and unpack it. James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I just wonder in my mind, how can you do that? But we will unpack that. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubt is like a wave in the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humili humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flow, uh, flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in its pursuit. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Now that crown of life is also called the, the imperishable crown by Paul when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 about the crowns. When you, receive, when you finish the race, it's called the imperishable crown. Here it's called the crown of life. He says he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one being tempted say, I'm tempted from God. For God is not tempted by evils, and He tempts no one. But each one is tempted by his lust, being drawn away and seduced by them. Then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's fully formed, brings forth death. The Bible is clear about that. It says the wages of sins is death. It brings forth death, it says. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. How wonderful is that? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In fact, if you listen to John when he writes down in John 3, 27, he says that, he says that a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. Think about that. You can receive nothing if it's not given to you from heaven. And here he talks about good gifts. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow of turning, and of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth 
that he might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we're just going to look at those verses today. First of all, he talks about count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This word for trials here comes from the Greek word pirasmos. Pirasmos. And it means it is a putting to proof. It is if you have something, you are going to be proven. It's by implication and adversary. Adversary. Now, James says to you and me, he says, My brethren, count it joy. Be happy. Be happy when you are proved. Be happy if you are tested. Be happy when temptation comes your way. It doesn't make sense to us, is it? When suffering comes your way, is, are you the guy jumping up and down? Oh, more suffering, Lord, more suffering. How can suffering bring joy? That's what we're going to answer today. You see, because trials can bring suffering. And it do bring suffering. It brings a lot of suffering on a lot of people. And here he goes against the grain. If you go to the psychologist and you say, oh, I'm suffering so much, they dig into your, your psyche, they go all over the place to try to make you feel better. He, see, he doesn't say, when you, when you have these things, go to, a, a, you know, a, to try to make you better, feel better. No, no. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because these trials brings and builds patience, which Oscar says he's got a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> but you see there's four reasons, generally four reasons for suffering. Four reasons. And when suffering happens, people generally ask the question, why? Why is it happening to me? Isn't that right? The first reason for suffering is that suffering is common to humanity. It's common. Have you noticed that in life? Something happened to people... Disaster strikes, and they call out to God. They say, why is this happening? How long, Lord? Here is a man who is working really hard in his life. He knows commerce. He makes the right investments. And then he becomes wealthy. And he enjoys life. He's got money. He can do a lot of things with his money. It seems as if he's touch with the golden spoon. Have you heard that phrase? And everything he touches turns into gold. He's much revered amongst his peers and his family. Then all of a sudden, disaster strikes. Something happens and he loses everything. And he turns to God and he says, why? Well, friends, sometimes it's just because it's common that sufferings will happen and disaster will strike. This happens to Christians. It also happens to non-Christians. It's just a fact of life that there is things that's going to happen to humanity. Here is another person who's highly regarded amongst other peers. Whenever he talks, because of his status, people stop and they listen what he say. His public opinion is very high. He walks around and he feels that he's got worth. He builds himself up into this nice position that, you know, he is so influential. When people talk about this person, they talk about his influence. 
But then all of a sudden disaster strikes. And when you talk, it seems as if people is not listening anymore. And it feels as if you are back where you started before you went onto this trip. And you know generally what people do. They feel insecure and they look up to heaven and they say, Why? Why have I lost my influence, Lord? Why am I suffering this now? Or maybe here is another person who loses somebody to death. We've all been there. And people, maybe at a young age, you ask, why, Lord, why did this have to happen? Well, first thing is suffering happened to common people. And it happened to Christians as non-Christians alike. And this is what he addresses here. He says in verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because, and here is that phrase now, he says, The flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearances perish. James is telling us that common things happen to humanity. There is a time that things will bloom and blossom and then there's a time when it will fall down. It just happens. Suffering happens. Think about that flower when he grew up and he, he started stemming out and started budding and started opening up and it's a beauty and everybody came around and they take photos and everything. And it's the, you know, it's like that person, that rich person who did all the right things. And everybody looks at it and they behold the beauty thereof. It is like that person with status who was highly regarded. Everybody sees the flower. But once the flower starts turning down, and like the word says there, when the sun comes out and it falls on it, it falls down. This is what James says. You know, he wants us to understand that uh, struggling and sufferings are common. And it happens to everybody. In the book of James. Job had the same thing. Look at Job. I love this verse. He says in verse 5. Job chapter 5 verse 7. But man is born to trouble. Is this a verse that somebody give you every time to remember? Is this something you want to remember every morning when you wake up? Man is born to trouble. Where's the faith preachers now? It's in the same Bible. <laughs> it's in the same Bible. That's why I say this whole series is going to be confronting. He says man is born to travel as the sparks fly upward. What is he meaning there? What is he meaning as the sparks fly upward? Look in, in the Hebrew. The word sparks there is made out of two words. It is ben repesh. It means sun. Ben is sun or flame. Have you seen flames? Where is the sparks going normally? It goes upwards. He says, man, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. Look further on in Job 14 verse 1. Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. It is as if it's following you everywhere you go. And James, you know, in this passage we can see that suffering is common to humanity. Secondly, suffering we bring upon ourselves. Who knows that? There's suffering that people bring upon themselves. First of all, it just happens. It's outside of your control, that first one. You can't control all everything in life. That rich man who worked well and did everything, but then something outside of his control happened and he lost everything. But here, 
Here is suffering which is brought upon yourselves. Let's take that rich man again. He worked so hard. He made the right investments. He, he bought a house. And then the house prices went up and he made a few extra $100,000. Then he bought another house and, he, and the prices still went up. And he, and, he, and he said, wow, you know, I'm making good money here. And then he sold. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But then, but then he becomes greedy. You see, that's now where the difference comes in. Now he's starting to take risks. Now he's starting to gamble. And now he puts things in because he wants more. I'm going to take bigger risks and bigger chances here. And all of a sudden, what happens? Disaster strikes. Not because of, of what happened outside, but because of what he's done. That is suffering that came upon himself. I remember a few years ago, I was in Sydney and I jumped into this cab. And it was in the busy traffic, you know, peak hour. And it took 40 minutes to get from the city to the airport. In that 40 minutes, it was a lady taxi driver. In that 40 minutes, she told me how they've lost thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars because her husband was pursuing things that he shouldn't have pursued. He tried to get more and more money, tried to invest more. He became greedy. In her words, he became greedy. Their plans were that she would stop driving taxis, but because they've lost everything, she had to continue driving taxis. You know, when I prepared this, her name, you know, she came up in my mind. And I thought about it. This is where people extend themselves beyond their means. Have you heard that before? They push it just a little bit further because, because I'm becoming greedy now. Here is another person who's living unhealthy. Think about the suffering we bring upon ourselves. Living unhealthy, not eating the right things. Look, I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about living unhealthy, drinking the wrong things. You know, it's true that alcohol will destroy the body. It's true that smoking destroys and brings cancer. And this is the kind of things that you need to think about. This is sufferings that people bring upon themselves. We are living in a sex generation, people. I don't know if you've noticed. Everything is so sexualized these days. They bring it into the schools for the young people. I saw a slogan a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't remember whether it was in, in Sydney or in Brisbane. But I saw the slogan about sex. It says, have it just the way you want it. And you know what now? We are living in a sex generation, but not only that. We now have the most diseases, sexual transmitted diseases, that the world has ever seen. And people are suffering. People are suffering. But you know what? They brought the suffering upon themselves. You see, these are the kind of things which you don't normally hear preached from the pulpits anymore. People don't want to hear these things. They want to hear, oh God is so, you are God's blue-eyed girl and blue-eyed boy. He will take care of you no matter what. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you, you can be a Christian and live unhealthy and suffer because of your unhealthy living. It's so true. And these are the things we need to think about. As it happens to Christian and non-Christians. Someday, living unhealthy will catch up with you. 
And then you find people running to the church and say, Oh, preacher, pray for me. The doctor said I've got stage 4 cancer. It's terminal. Why do you have that? It's because you're unhealthy living. Now, God can heal you. I'm not saying He can't. But you've got choices that you have to make. Mature choices that you have to make. It's not a lot of hallelujahs and amens if you preach this, brother. But it's so true. Look at James. He, he mentions this in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Let no one being tempted say, I'm tempted from God, for God not tempted by evils. And He tempts no one. But each one is tempted by his lusts. You see that? Each one is tempted by his lust. This is when people live unhealthy lives by their own choice. And here it's so true. Lust is the word, it means a longing for something, especially for what is forbidden. For what is forbidden. James says this is what's happening. You continue in these lusts of yours, which is destroying your body, which is destroying your family life, which is, and look, there's so many things. We can talk about pornography. You know, whoa, you're going really deep now. We have to. It is a stain upon our existence. It destroys the brains of people. And it destroys families. And here he says, each one is tempted by his lusts, being drawn away and seduced by them. You know what the word seduced there mean? I think it is important to know that. Seduced means it's entrapped. You see, nobody commits sin. Nobody commits sin and say, oh, I just fell into it. No, no. You go close to the edge and you draw yourself closer to it. And once it happens, it entraps you. Go and ask people who's living these lives. They say, I can't stop it because I'm entrapped. So sufferings we bring upon ourselves also happens. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's fully formed, brings forth death. I've had this explanation all these years. Say, for instance, you invite me to your house, and as I walk out down, we sit around, and, it's, and, and you've got these beautiful crystal glasses sitting there, and you give us some juice in the crystal glasses. Now, I'm a collector of crystal glasses. And when I see your glasses, I go, man, I haven't got those. I need to have one of those. So, you see, this whole passage is so true. You see, because I'm tempted now with my own lust, I need to have it. But it's yours. I don't know where you bought them. I ask you all these questions. You say, oh, no, I bought it from a far country. And these are the last set. There's no more of these. And then at that point in time, because I'm so tempted by my lust to have that glass, you know what, what decision I made? I made the decision that I'm going to take one of those glasses. Before this night is over, I will have one of those. So as we, you know, sit and talk and so on, I drink it and I slip it under my jacket. And there it sits. You see, this is the whole thing here. I'm seduced. I'm entrapped now. And then when lust has conceived, this is when it conceived, I took it, I stole it, and I walk out your door, it says further on that sin will then bring forth death. You see, what I've lost immediately, I'm not even talking about the spiritual death here, but what I've lost immediately with you is I don't know whether you know whether I've taken it. And now I'm avoiding you. 
You call me up one day and I think, oh, I, I'm not going to answer that call. I see it on caller display. I'm not going to answer it. Maybe they're going to say, you've taken my glass. Before this, I always answered. I always said, oh, how are you doing, my mate? It's good and so on. But now I see your name. Your name become to me like a curse. Because now I don't want to talk to you because I don't know. You see, there's death in the relationship right there. Why? Because of my lust, it conceived, it entrapped me, I took it, I stole it, and now that is a sin, it brought forth death in a spiritual sense, but also death in a relationship. You see, these things are so true. And as I say, this happened to Christian and non-Christians alike. The third thing of, <coughs> excuse me, of suffering is suffering is intended by God for good. Did you know that? Suffering is intended by God for good. It's generally to build character and perseverance. I've said so many times for Sharia as he grow up, I said, listen, my girl, you're going to have trials in your life and you're going to have sufferings, and you know what? Go through them because it builds perseverance. It builds perseverance and it builds character. You remember when I pray for people when we pray for their birthdays? I say these words for a purpose. I say, Lord... In this last year that you saved these people and blessed them, they had good times and they had bad times. And we thank you for the bad times. You might say, oh, you don't know what I went through. How can you thank God for my bad times? You know what, friends? The Bible teaches us that those bad times, you know what it does? It builds character. It makes you stronger to persevere. If you understand sufferings in this light, friend, you will see it. And, and you will understand and you will go easier through them. I'm not saying the sufferings will become easier, but your understanding will be different. You see, sufferings change us into the image of Jesus. How can that happen? How is that true? I remember there was a man in New Zealand, Pete Compton. Um, he was a missionary in New Caledonia for 38 years. I think, Paul, you guys would remember Pete um, from New Zealand. And the last five years of his life, I had the privilege that he came to, to our church and he became a pastor in our church. And I had, I had the privilege of living with him for the last five years of his life on this earth. I had the privilege to, to conduct his funeral. But here's the one thing that stuck with me. He preached a sermon one day in our church and the sermon was, suffering comes before victory. Suffering comes before victory. And that's the one sermon that stick with me. It doesn't make sense to us, but you know what? After suffering comes victory. And here it is that God intended for us for the good. Look at this in verse 2. He says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is what? It produces that patience. It produces that patience. You see, God intends sufferings for good as well. He will allow sufferings in your life for what? So that your patience can grow. So that your perseverance can grow. So that your character can grow. So God will allow it. You say, oh, is that a loving God? Yes, it is. It's for your better. Now, I know when you sit in the middle of that suffering... You can't say, hey, high five and hallelujah and amen. I know that. But know this, it gives you the confidence that God has got your best intentions on His heart for allowing it. This is why he says, why James write down that faith produces perseverance. 
You know what perseverance is? I, I go to the gym sometimes. And when you go to the gym, you practice, you practice. You pump that iron, you know? Your muscle grows. And you pump that iron. For what do you do that? For that when you need that muscle strength, you have it. And this is the same concept here. That this is happening. The fourth thing here is, or let me first read to you verse 12, sorry. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. You see, suffering is also intended for good by God. He will receive the crown of life. Peter says the same thing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In what, Peter? Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various what? Trials. By various trials. He says, but look, you greatly rejoice. He's got the same thing that James is writing down. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. These men were apostles of God. They lived in very difficult times in that first century. They were sought to be killed. This is, this is the words that they say to you and me. And look, we've got it easy in many ways. These men know about trials and testings. They ran away when Jesus went to the cross. You remember? There's only one man who went to the cross. It was John. Where was Peter? He was sitting around a fire. He was denying Christ. It's him who writes this down. He says, in this now you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why, Peter? Why do we greatly rejoice? Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that parries though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it does. So it's intent for good. It's intent for good. But also, suffering brings God glory. Four things. First of all, it's common. It happens to humans. It happens to everybody. Secondly, suffering we bring upon ourselves then it's intended by God for our good. And then finally, suffering brings Lord glory or glory to God. Uh, you remember in John chapter 9, verse 1, we find this blind man. And the disciples come to Jesus. And as Jesus passed by, he saw this man who was blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he's born blind. You know what Jesus said? He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but why? But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Friends, I've known people over my lifetime, going back to South Africa, where people in their family suffered severely, severe sicknesses and cancer and everything. And every time this happened, we ask, why? Why do they have to suffer like that? And you know what? Sometimes the answer is just with God, for the glory of God. This man, he did nothing. It came upon him. He suffered from birth. And they asked this question. And this is the answer he gives. He says that God, the glory of God should be revealed in him. Look at verse 17. James 1.17. James writes down, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. From above. 
I've worked with a disabled trust in New Zealand as well. And you know what? I, I, I once worked with a lady who was singing. She was the worship leader. But she was blind. She never saw in her life. But once she started playing the keyboard, and once she started strumming on that guitar, she started singing it pitch perfect. I can't understand it. I don't know how. But you know what? She didn't see her blindness, although it's a test. Although it is a suffering, she didn't see that for that. Her testimony in her whole life is to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. So sometimes when you suffer, think about that. How is my suffering bringing glory to God? Because we have this faith in us that every perfect gift is from God above. And we saw what John says. He says that a man can't receive anything if it's not given to him from heaven. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of a shadow of turning of his own will. He brought us up by forth the word of truth. Now the question is, how will I know why I am struggling? Is that a good question? I've given you four reasons for suffering. Which one of those is the suffering you're going through? Is it something you brought upon yourself or is it just something that happened? Or is it to the glory of God? Or is God intending good in your life? How do you know? And the answer is, you won't. You won't know. That is why you need wisdom, James says. You need wisdom. And notice, he didn't say knowledge. He didn't say knowledge. So you might go through a certain problem or a suffering, and you go to the university. Here you go. And you get all the books in the university about what you're suffering about. And you, you've got so much head knowledge about it. Is it helping your suffering? No, it doesn't answer the why question. Why, Lord, why? This is why James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, look, he puts wisdom in the first part of this chapter amongst suffering. It's so wonderful. Wisdom is applying the knowledge. He says, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And how do we ask? We pray. We pray. How's your prayer life? You're going through suffering? Who do you talk to the most when you go through suffering? To your family, to your pastor, or to God? In Isaiah chapter 9, he says, he is the great counselor. If you come to me and say, Pastor, you know, I'm going through suffering, I will hear you out, but I haven't got the answer. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray to God. You know what I'm going to ask Him? In your situation, I'm going to say, Lord, give us wisdom. How do we address the situation? This is what James tells us in the book of James. He says, count it all joy when this comes your way. And when it comes your way and you ask why, and you don't know why, Ask God. Pray to Him. Say, Lord, give me wisdom in this. You remember Paul did this as well? He had this pain in his body, and what did he do? He called out to God, and you know what God said to him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient to you. But ask of God. Now, when you ask of God, James continues on. He gives us more instruction in verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. And let me tell you, there's a lot of faith preachers who misuse this verse. They misuse it. They will get you out and they will say, stand up, brother, and 
bend your neck, although your neck's broken, they say, bend your neck. And if you can't do it, they say, oh, you haven't got enough faith. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about here. No, no, this is the faith in God. This is the faith that you have that you say, God knows the best for my life, and you know what? I'm going to trust Him. This is not blind faith. Have you heard about blind faith and blind trust? Blind faith and trust is I don't know what's in front of me, and I'm just going to jump and God will catch me. No, 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 no. That is tempting God. No, no, I'm talking about trusting faith. Do you want to see a picture of trusting faith? I see this father walking and he's got his hand down and I see this little boy or girl walking and you know what they do? They put their hand in the father's hand. Can you, can you picture that? That is trusting faith. That is tra- And in this picture, my dear friend, Heavenly Father, the God, our Father is there. Abba Father is there. And I can see it in my, in my mind how you are walking and you are holding his hands. That is trusting faith. That is what we need. That is what he's talking. But let him ask in faith. In faith in who? Faith in God. Faith in God. I don't want you to have faith in me, friend. I don't want you to have faith in this church. I don't want you to have faith in any preacher out there. I want you to have faith in God. That's who you have faith in. And now he goes on. He says, with no doubting. For he who doubt is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Have you stood by the sea and you see how the wind changes? It's so beautiful pictures that he used. That's why they call him the Proverbs of the New Testament. For let let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man and unstable in his ways. I've seen this so many times in my life. So many times. People come before a decision. And you know what's the most difficult thing about a decision? Is making the decision. Not doing it. People think the doing part of it is a difficult one. It's the decision making. That's the, if you've made your mind up and you said, I'm going to do it, then it's done. It becomes easier. But this person is then here, then he's there. Oh, I know a lot of those people, friends. They're all over the place. They suffer. They suffer because of their own doing, but they will not listen. They suffer because of just things happening to them. It happens to everybody, but they will not ask wisdom. They suffer because God intends good in their lives, but they, they don't know that even. And here he says, when you ask, ask in faith, not doubting, for otherwise you'll be a double-minded man, unstable, unstable in all your ways. You say you prayed and God is not answering. Isn't that also what people say? God's not answering. I've prayed so many times. Now let's look at the scripture and test him. He loves us, friends. Look at verse 17 again. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. This is where the word of God, friends, let me tell you, I live by this word. We have to live by the word. You have to stand on the word. Sometimes in the midst of your struggling and your testing, right in the darkest time of that, the only thing that you can hold on to is the word of God. And when you sit there and you say, but God's not answering my prayer, remember this then. Remember that every good gift, if you are a child of God, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from Him. He loves you. He's got your best intentions at heart. Now, the question that we end up with today is, how do I then turn 
victory, it trials into victory. How do I do that? It's a how-to sermon as well. There's four requirements that we should obey. It's all in the Word. Look at this. I love this. This is powerful words out here. He says, my brethren count. You see the word there? Count. It's an action word. It all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing. This is how. This is a plan He gives us. Right there in the Word. How do I turn these trials into victory? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let. Let. It's an action. Patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. There's four things there. Four things. To remember in your time of trial. First of all, count. Count is a financial term. It means to evaluate. To evaluate. So what do you evaluate? You evaluate everything that you are going through in the light of what God is doing for you. You evaluate everything. You wake up in the morning, you're in your routine, and then all of a sudden something happens that pushes you out of your routine. Your next prayer to God is, Father, I trust you. I know that you've got your best intentions for me in life because I'm your child, and I've got children, and I know I want the best for my children. And when they go through difficult times, I will help them. So, Father, you will help me. But knowing this of those four kinds of strugglings and sufferings that happen, then I pray and say, Father, show me if this is the good. Is there something in my character that you are building, making stronger? Is there patience that you're teaching me? This is how we count. We count and we evaluate in the light of what God is doing for us. And this is why Christians still smile in times of trouble. Do you know those? Have you seen them? I've seen a lot of them. They go through difficult times, but they still smile. They're not hypocrites. I can see a hypocrite a mile, mile off. But you find these people when they come in and they go, they're in the darkest time of their life sometimes, but they won't go around and moan and complain and everybody knows about that because God knows about it. You see, some people love calamity. And to talk about it. Because it makes them feel important. But others come and they say, Lord, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going through a difficult time. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to bring you glory and, and honor, Father. You see, our values determine our evaluation. Listen about this. Our values determine our evaluations. What values have you got? And how then do you evaluate those values in the light of Christ? If you value comfort before character then you will become upset when you're going through trials. If comfort's everything you want, and comfort's been taken away from you, then you're going to be upset. But, if you value God and character, and trials comes your way, then you will rejoice. It's the two opposites. You see, people become bitter. It's because they don't count. They don't count. Secondly, he says, knowing. You see that? He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Then he says, knowing. Knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces patience. We know faith is tested and that it makes us patient. So if we go through trials and everything, we know this. This is a knowing. We know that it teaches us patience. 
So next time when you go through a difficult time, say, Father, thank you that my patience is growing. We also know that testing work for us and not against us. If you're a child of God, that's what you know. Because we know that God loves us. So that works for us. We also know that trials makes us mature and it's not destroying us. You see how these words are so powerful? Then fourthly it says, let. Let. Now, let is a word, it's an inward action word. It's used six times in the first ten verses. So it means that inwardly you need to allow for something to happen. And this for me might be the most important of these four words. It is something that happens inside. This is where you allow Him to work in you. There must be a surrendered will to Him. You must come to the point where you say, Father, I'm going through a difficult time now, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to allow you to work in me and build in me that patience. See, the first work that God did for us was on the cross. He did it for us. The cross was for us. And then He started working in us. So it's for and in us. So when He started working in us, the Bible says we are His workmanship. You remember that? We're His. He's starting to work in you. So sometimes He allows trials to come your way so that He can work in you. But you've got to let Him. That's where the inward is happening now. He says, let Him. And, and I ask you, go and read all those verses where it says let. He says, but let patience have its perfect word. That you may be perfect lacking nothing. And then it continues on. And the next verse is go and read all six of those. Let's. It allows Him to work in you. And then, after He's worked for us, He's worked in us, now what's going to happen thirdly? He's going to work through us. Through us. Some people have got a problem because they're only sitting at the for us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for us. But that's where they're stuck. They will not grow in maturity. You see where we're going? It's for you. But then you need to allow Him to work in you. To grow in maturity. He says it right there. So that your patient may grow. Let patient have its perfect work. It's a perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. But if you are stuck between for and in, you're incomplete. You need to allow God to work in you. Sometimes it's going to take suffering. And then, once you complete, as a good workman of God, He will work through you. You can start touching other people. It's like gifts. Who loves it when somebody gives you a gift? Come on, don't be, everybody must love it. Somebody walks up to you and they give you this little gift, and you go, oh, thank you, it's great. But let me, let me tell you something. You will not understand the full joy of receiving if you haven't given It's for me these days, I find much more pleasure giving gifts than receiving. This is the true part. We received the gift from God for us. We received it from Him. Who knows it's a wonderful gift? It's a life-saving gift. It's an internal gift. Then we come to the inn where He works in us. 
But the most satisfying for me now is when He works through us and we touch other people with Him. Now let's finish. The last one is the word ask. You see, there's four things. How do we turn trials into victory? We count. We evaluate when we go through. We understand it's in the light of God. Then we know the testing produces patience. We know these things. We know that we're going to be tested. Then we allow God to work in us. We don't harden our hearts. We don't say no. And we, you know, pound up our fists and say, why do you do this? That's not no. It says, Father, why? Make me to grow. And then we ask of God. Ask is praying. It is talking with God. And let me tell you, friends, I know some people say that you must always be on your knees when you pray. No, I pray when I'm driving sometimes. Open eyes, though. (laughs) I'm not tempting God and say, oh, Father, I'm going to close my eyes because I know I'm praying, I'm doing good work here. I'm going to close my eyes in the next moment. Boom! Oh, (laughs) no. No, but, you know, be in a constant prayer for wisdom for God. That is how we turn our trials into victory. So the first is to grow patience. How much patience have you got? How, what trials are you going through? Have we learned something out of the Word this morning? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. James wrote it so wonderful by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Father, it gives us more clarity in our lives and to understand, Lord, that when we go through trials, Father, instead of asking why in despair, when we come to You, Lord, we now ask for wisdom. And we say, Father, show us. Show us what you want us to learn, Lord. And Father, when we go through that, it gives us more understanding and we learn from this that next time, Father, we go through a testing time to trust in you with trusting faith. To ask you, Lord, to guide us. To know, Lord, that every good gift comes from you.